Welcome to Inside the Agency. I'm your host, Michelle Govan. I'm your co-host, Nicole Shawcross. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. We have the inspirational Serena Swan with us today. You sweet, sweet human. I love you, Michelle. <laughs> well, we were just laughing and talking about how we're going to start this podcast. And I was like, do we talk about our start? Do, the, do we talk about, about the fact that I walked into Cactus Club and there was a sad man with roses on a table beside oh. me and this stunning oh. hostess that I walked by and I was like, I need to talk to her. And there's always these, oh, no. these moments that I feel like I see something that I know is special. And even if I'm having a day off, I'm like, shit, I need to go talk to that person. And it's been a while since I've scouted and, and had that feeling. And Sarinda was probably one of the strongest feelings of, oh my God, she's a star. What the fuck is she doing behind a hostess stand? <laughs> With a bunch of roses. I totally forgot it was that day in particular. Uh, my oh, my yeah. That was... That was not a good, that was not a good day. Um, wow. Yeah. I remember you came in twice and I remember exactly where I sat you. It's Cactus Club Robson and it was the two seater across from the bar. I can't remember who you were with, but you were facing the back, like towards, not out towards Robson. And I was like, I feel like she's serious, but I was so scared at that point to like walk into any part of my dream that I was like, yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah. I want to be an actress, but I was just so terrified of, you know, failing that I think it took a couple more. It took like I, the next time that we were at, where was it global? All the people in Vancouver are going to be like, Oh my God. We know all these <laughs> yeah. No, I, like, oh. I think my favorite part was I kept bumping into you, but yeah. every time I bumped into you, I'd hand you another card and say, we have to do this. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you just vanish for a few months. I bump into you again. And then this time at Global, here you are in this like baby pink dress, like poofy, totally dressed up, like something on top of a cake. And I'm like, and I remember pinning you against the wall being like, you're calling me. And this is it. (laughs) It was my boyfriend who brought me the roses that had made a mistake. And he, he brought me roses to make up for it. Um, or probably I was an asshole and he was just trying to win an asshole back, which is more likely. Um, (laughs) I was like, I was like 18. No, no, I was older than that. I must've been 19 or 20 at that time. Um, He was just a sad puppy dog that kept, the weird part is, I'm just going to interject here. We were sitting basically side by side with the glass partition, not glass COVID plexiglass, old school glass cactus club. This was actually designed in the restaurant. And I'm looking at you, looking at this guy, looking at you with these roses and he's almost in tears. And I'm like, are we both checking you out? And then I realized that he <laughs> fucked up, brought you roses, and I was trying to check you out to sign you. So it was, it was, the dynamic was hilarious. But yeah, it did go months and months and so months. So funny. I remember that day. I, yeah, I, I remember. I, I remember that day. Oh, what a sweet, sweet man. I, I just, like, you know, when you're younger, you just don't know what's going on. And like, especially working at Cactus, you're just like, I think... It's, it's the craziest job for people that don't know what Cactus Club is. It's a restaurant. It's a restaurant chain in Vancouver where when you were younger, like as a woman, that's where everybody wanted to work because you had, you made incredible tips. And right when I first started working there, they changed it to like a girls could only wear skirts rule, which makes you understand the dynamic of this restaurant a little bit more now, which mm-hmm. to this day, I probably still have some mental damage from it being like, you know, when you're just there, it's, you know, you're serving meat and being treated like it as well. So you're like, Oh, okay. This is very specific. Um, but I remember, I remember you being seated there. And then I remember the second time. And I remember that dress, it was baby pink with like a little crossover. And then the whole bottom was like, Oh, we just lost her. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) She's back. We lost her. I mean, I'm uh, quarantining in the hills right now. This is probably the issue. It's it's pouring. Yeah, I'm down by Horseshoe Bay, actually. I'm in Eagle Harbor. I rented a house out here, and it's pouring with rain. Like, Mm -hmm. just pouring. I've got my fireplace on, and it's August. It feels very... We were just talking about this. I'm like, yeah, because it's winter. And you're like, it's not winter. It looks cozy, though, in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very cozy. But yeah, I remember you, you really being persistent, and I appreciate it, because I think that you pushed me outside of what I was ready for, or you met that part of me that 
knew I should always be doing this, but just didn't have the balls to be able to go up against it. Cause for the first few years, I sort of like was in and out and dilly dallied and kind of was like, eh, and I had another job at the same time. And it wasn't until finally I kind of kicked my own ass and was like, you know, if you're too afraid to fail, then you're going to be too afraid to succeed. Like you'll never succeed in the way that you want to, if you're so afraid of failing. And I had to kind of get out of my way and quit my cactus club job. Um, was there a moment that turned that for you? For you to realize that? Me yelling and pinning her against a wall and shoving the card. Actually, put the card in your chest. Do you remember that? I think I stuck it in your chest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the cleavage. They're like, you are not not losing it this time. I think that was the thing for me is that I I had such a uh, severe hurt from the industry the first time that they sort of said, no, you can't um, be a part of us. Cause when I was like three or four, I was just sort of a byproduct of my mom's acting career. I got to go and do, um, an extra role on cousins. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it was with Ted Danson and Isabella Rosalini and Joel Schumacher was the director and he was so kind to me. And Ted Danson was so kind to me. And it was just this, like, I remember it and I remember wanting to do that. And then my dad was like, let's get you an agent and let's figure this out. And I never really worked from there. Your mom was a successful actress and that's how you got exposed to set. So why don't you tell us about those first experiences on set with your mom? Yeah. I mean, it was amazing because it was, you know, I was a pretty, I didn't realize this, but I was sort of raised a vegan. (laughs) So it was like being a vegan that had carob instead of chocolate going to set and seeing the crafty cart at like four, you're like, what is this magic? What is this? (laughs) I still think it looks like magic. (laughs) Oh my God. It still is magic to me. I'm like, yeah, I eat, I eat way too much. It's the best. Um, but I, I think that it was just something that I fell in love with immediately. I think it's always been something that I've had this passion to do. Um, and so, you know, a few years later when I wanted to really step into acting, um, I was pretty heavy into gymnastics at that point. Um, I was training six days a week, five days or five hours a day. And, um, and I didn't look like a typical little girl. I had cut my hair really short. Um, and, was really jacked. Like I just, I looked like a little boy and, you know, even 30 years ago, we didn't have sort of this, uh, ability to see young women outside of the boxes that they were sort of confined to. And Mm -hmm. that was something that I really struggled with was because I looked very different than the types of other girls that were in the casting room with me. Um, And so we would get feedback being like, she's great. And then we wouldn't hear anything and we loved her and we wouldn't hear anything. And then my dad finally called my agent at the time and was like, can I just ask what's happening? And she was like, she just doesn't look like a little girl. And yeah. And that was the thing being like, when I understood that my dad buffered me from it pretty well um, during that time. But as I he kind of like corralled me over to gymnastics more and I never really understood it. And then as I got older, I started to realize that it was like, I chose it and it didn't choose me. And like, I wanted it and it didn't want me. And it had to do with something on my exterior, not something on my interior. So how do I fix or change or become something different so that I could do what I wanted to do? But I kind of lost the passion for that as I kept going, because I think at that young age, when you get told no, based on your face, (laughs) you start to like, you have such a, you have such a reaction to protect yourself from Mm -hmm. that dream. And so my walls came up. So when Michelle came into Cactus Club and, and, you know, started chipping at those walls, I was really excited, but I was also really terrified. And that's what made me not commit as much as I wanted to, um, right off the bat, because it was that piece of, well, what if I get in there and they tell me again, that they don't want me and can I survive that? And I, I did, (laughs) I did survive it. Um, but there's still, you know, I still have little pieces of that, that pop up when there's like a role that I want that I don't look like, or people don't think I could do based on what I look like. And those are the ones that like, like hurt. (laughs) They hurt a little bit more. How do you, how do you deal with, you know, 
we were talking with someone uh, with 10,000 no's and how do you, how do you handle rejection? You know, over the years, how have you handled it from starting out to where you're at now with so many roles coming your way? You have to want it badly enough that you're willing to go through the pain. <laughs> yeah, keep getting um, in the face and keep getting up, right? It's that keep getting gut yeah. punched and then stand up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's knowing that um, how others look at you can't change the way you look at yourself. Um, that if somebody says you're not right for this role, you don't suddenly chase to look like that role next or to be that role next, because then somebody else, you know, on the other side, it's going to be like, oh, but we want this person. So you're going to constantly be chasing another person's idea of who you are, um, or what you should be or look like. And I think that's part of it is just understanding that our uniqueness as an actor is probably the most valuable thing, but coming up, it's probably the biggest thing we fight against because on the way up, you get told to fit in boxes because those types of roles are very specific. It's like jock should look like this, or, you know, bartender should look like this or magical person should look like this. And so there's, it's, I've always used this analogy as paint by numbers. So when you first start, you get the paint by numbers, painting that you're supposed to paint and you get like blue and brown and they tell you exactly where to put them. And you're like, how am I going to make a nice picture with blue and brown? They're like, we don't care. The blue and brown is part of the bigger picture. It's not about your personal art. So just paint your blue and brown and you're going to be, you're going to contribute. That's it. And then as you start to grow, they're like, oh, look, here's a few more colors. And then you're like, ah, okay. So my paint, I still have to paint in the numbers, in the character that you've given me specifically. And I can't play a lot because I am supporting. I'm here to support the lead. And as you start to grow and grow, you start to get more and more colors and the numbers start to disappear where they go, you know what, we're going to offer this to you because we know that you know how to do this. So take some liberties. So eventually like where I aspire to be is to have a blank canvas with all of the colors that I can use, or I can imagine to be able to paint what it is that's inside of me. But as an artist, I think we're so stifled by these boxes that we get put in on the way up that we can get tricked into thinking that we need to become the best box painter or the best paint by numbers painter rather than the best artist. And my career kind of took that turn for a while because I didn't have the self-confidence to understand that I was more than a commodity, that I was actually an artist. And painting by numbers is a commodity because you're learning a skill that doesn't require any artistry to it. Um, so I that's- love that analogy. That's fabulous. <laughs> well, and I also want to go back to the fact that how we started about you talking about how you looked as a child. And I love the fact that we've almost done a full circle of, you know, when I met you, you had the long, gorgeous hair and you were dressed very feminine. And obviously we went for the feminine roles. And unfortunately, yes, you were put in boxes. We don't need to describe all the boxes you were put in. But then look at how beautiful your career morphed into the fact that you were able to manipulate how you wanted to look, how you wanted to be seen on set from, you know, beautiful women to intelligent women, to women that shave their head, to women that have such a powerful uh, intelligence and you could express that. And I'm so proud that we did do, we did change with the times and we allowed you to change with the times and we didn't keep you to that box because you have to, you have to play the game at some points too. It's not just about coming out of the gates being like, I will not be defined. And I'm like, there's some people that can do that, that just have this unique capacity to be able to just come into the industry and there's a perfect role for them that just allows them to just, you know, explore as an artist. And I also have other friends that haven't worked in six years because they will not take a job that is against their artistry. And I respect that. Mm -hmm. I also am just like, I got to pay my bills. I also at the beginning didn't know who I was. And so, and I think that's a journey, Michelle, you and I have gone on and what kind of roles do I want to do? And how do I, how do I take those numbers and paint them? Yes, they may be blue, but I'm also going to like do an underpinning of, you know, uh, social awareness or philanthropy or like, how do I figure out how to um, make the painting say more than what's on the paper? Um, And that's something that I find really interesting and, and has been a byproduct of feeling a little, um, kind of stifled as an artist with, with what's out there. And so I, I like that. And I've been able to like 
play around a little bit more and be like, ah, like I've been dying to shave my head. And so when that happened, that was amazing. And, you know, that I led to that, TED talks. Look what happened. That led to TED talks. Cause it yeah. put me right back in my trauma as a kid, when I was made fun of when I chopped all my hair off and then went into the acting thing, it was actually a really interesting, um, cycle for me because it was really what started pushing me into modeling. Eventually it was when I chose how other people looked at me was more important than how I looked at myself. And that was a journey that took me into my mid twenties, even in acting the first little while, it was very, very much about, am I good? You said I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Okay. And then it's like, Oh, I got to know I'm terrible. Um, and I started to build up the ability to be able to be like, no, 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 no. You know, I can want it. I can, I can want it. And I have to be very careful of my projections. Cause I remember at the beginning of my career, I used to, uh, you know, you'd go for a test or something, or you'd have a big audition and you knew the money that came with it or the success. And you'd be like, Oh my God, if I get this job, I get this house and I get this car and this boy will like me and I'll be considered this, this, and this. And then when you don't get the job, you not only lose the job, but you lose the boy and the house and the car and the job and the respect. And it's like all of those things that all Smith's false yeah, that ideas. all yeah. attached to it. And yeah. so that was what was the most painful was that I was doing this like terrible cycle, which I know a lot of us actors do. Um, which this could be it. Cause everybody says, all you need is your one big break and then. So I would always add the and thens onto these bigger jobs and then I wouldn't get them. <laughs> and that's a big, that the, the difference between those two and thens um, can, can crush a person, like can stop them from acting. And so you really need to work on separating it and just seeing the job as the job and then going from there. And even if you get the job and it fucking fails, which I've done, Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we did not say in humans, in humans, in humans was a disaster. I mean, yeah. look, it was so incredible to do it. I got to finally work for Marvel. I got to shave my head. It was supposed to be the biggest, best thing at the head the of Marvel break. telling you to prepare to be so famous and just like, get your passport ready. You're going to be doing premieres all over the place. And then it just hit a sour note and didn't happen. And I remember sitting there afterwards being like, am I going to negate the success of booking the role and the experience of shooting the the project because the outcome wasn't what I thought it would be? I was never, I was never promised the outcome. I was only promised the job. And if you put all the weight on the outcome, then you're going to lose the beauty of the job. And I learned so much shooting that so much. And I got to shave my head, which like changed people from being like, Oh, she should just be a shiny character to like the first thing I auditioned for was the, um, girl with the dragon tattoo right after that. I was like, they would never fucking see me for this before ever. That's what we want to let actors know is if you do change your appearance, it does drastically change how you're seen, especially as a female. But what I love too, is when you were starting out, I remember casting directors being like, Oh my God, if you can get her to be ready for a lead and train her, she -hmm. will take over because they saw you coming through the smaller roles and building yourself up. But what I love is that acting training worked for you, but that's not what led you to more success. It was you finding this amazing guru in your life and learning about loving yourself and not allowing other people's judgments to take away from you. And I remember recommending other actors to Diane Vimal. And what's crazy is they have gone on a strong path as well of booking better jobs and having healthier lives. So I want to shout out to actors. It's not always an acting coach that is the key that clicks and makes things change for an actor. It can just be a mentor. It can be a guru. It can be meditation. It can just be self-love. It can be just someone giving you the right advice. Like, didn't you feel that was when you really had the pivot in your life? Yeah, Yeah. because it was a, for me, it dropped all of the belief systems or dropped. It made me aware of the belief systems in my life that were adding the projection that were the voices in my head on why I didn't deserve it or why I would inevitably fail. Um, it just started making me become aware of myself and be able to, um, 
separate myself from the experience in a way that allowed me not to be shaking and nervous before I went through and to understand that, um, that we all deserve this, that we all deserve to be able to do this and, and how amazing it is when you're on your side and like how many voices that we get like here all the time of like, you suck. Like, I'm like, where did these voices come from? And so to have a teacher that, um, that's internal, external work. I love one of his quotes is as you are, so is your reality, but we've been taught. Um, so is your reality as are you. Um, and so I consistently put energy into trying to fix my reality, to fix how people saw me, to fix what my job was, to fix all of these things. So my value was always in another's view of me. And when I met him, I understood that the greatest value is my view over myself. And so as I am, so will be my reality. So if I love and respect myself, I will see the same in the world. Um, and it allowed me to kind of walk in and know who I was. And so when they were saying no, they were just saying no to this opportunity for me. They weren't saying that no to moment. me or yeah. bad actor. Yeah, I could separate myself from that a little bit more. And because, yeah, I've never really been trained. Like I didn't go to an acting school in Vancouver. I only went to high school. I never had a coach in Vancouver, really. Like my dad, my dad's a theater director. So I, I could ask him, but I was also super fucking stubborn. So I was like, I can do it myself, dad, which in retrospect, I'm like, ah, I should have asked you for some help. You're really, you're a really good director. Ah. But um, yeah, I think, I think the internal work is just as important as the external, not only for being able to book the role, but also being able to portray those attributes within your characters, whether they're aware of them or not. So like I've done characters that are very self-aware and that's amazing. And then I have characters like Jenny Cooper, who's, you know, on Ativan having panic attacks and, you know, has severe anxiety, which is interesting because I haven't felt that type of anxiety in my body for a very long time. So to be able to put myself back in that place and understand what this character is going through um, definitely helps, I find. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a sec. So Jenny Cooper has made her debut on CW on the corner on corner used to be called corner. the corner. Now it's corner. Uh, it started on CBC in Canada and we're so proud that it's killing it on the CW network. I think for me, Jenny is one of my favorite characters you've ever played. Oh, She's I'm, just, I'm so proud of the work. And listen, I know actors, we've just said, Serena didn't train as a, as a youth, but she has been busting her balls training for years now on these heavier characters. So let's not say that there's no need for training ever. There is oh, definitely everybody, time. The thing, everybody has their own journey. Like, uh, do I have imposter syndrome sometimes? Absolutely. Like when I look at it and I have friends that are like actors that are talking about the plays that they read and when they studied this or knew that, or like when they went to theater school, I don't get to join in on that conversation. And so that's a very personal choice for me. I just didn't, I just never went to acting school because it just wasn't something that I fit in with or I found a vibe. And then recently in Los Angeles, I found a guy named Victor Villerhauser for the past three years. I've been working with him and he's been, I guess four years now, because I started with him on ballers. Cause I was like, how do I make this into something that I'm excited to, it's not just about my body. Um, <laughs> that was, that was a whole, a whole other story. guys. But let's just say her body looked amazing on that footage. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, do you remember we edited her demo? Where oh, like, I was editing everything. I was like, oh my God, girl, hello. <laughs> we could always tell when Nicole was next to Rock because he's so yeah. big. I was yes, like, how was uh, that experience for you on Ballers? Yes, please. Talk great. About that. Dwayne the Rock <laughs> Johnson as a love interest. The Rock Johnson. I remember the first day. I was like, "Oh, we have to make out on the first day." Okay, well, here we go. Nice um, but she feels like a pebble. <laughs> feel like a pebble next to him. He's so big. Mm -hmm. The first day that we like walked up to each other, I was like, "Oh, I can eat whatever the fuck I want for the next." three months of shooting. Like you are so big. You make me look tiny. And not that that's a goal. Ladies, we don't need to look tiny. We can be as big as we want. This character was just supposed to be very shiny and in lingerie. And, uh, we all have a size and a shape that we feel best in. And mm -hmm. so for me, 
that size and shape, I was like, well, maybe I want to get into a little bit better shape. And then I went beside him and I was like, absolutely not. This is great. <laughs> I can just roll whatever I want here. Um, but he was lovely. We both have French bulldogs. We both, uh, I mean, he's from Hawaii. I lived in Hawaii growing up. So we had a lot in common. Um, and he was, yeah, he was great. He, he, our, our love scenes were hilarious because he's such a huge person that they had to keep being like, Dwayne, we can't see her. Can't see her at all. You <laughs> can't breathe, Dwayne. Lift up a little. She <laughs> got to get off her cage. He's a whole arm would just like block my face. Like it was just totally blocked. Um, and then one time my, cause I halfway through shooting ballers, I booked uh, marble. And so they had to shave my head. So I had this like wig that was the bane of our existence that literally Michelle, you know, yes. had to fly. It had a personal, like a, a an assistant basically this wig that would fly it from uh LA to Hawaii and back like it couldn't be FedEx it had to go with a person it was this expensive um uh-huh. so that it was always like it, it always had a chaperone that's we should have named the wig <laughs> I have her she's mine now um, I know but I know she needed a name if she was traveling and having a personal assistant like kind of bougie like she yeah. needs like an old school like audrey like she yeah. needs like a is like adora a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah she needs a she needs a like a, like a like an old school like a movie one that was terrible i don't even know but how to that's say another that. thing like do you remember you had to fake that you had hair and you didn't have a shaved head for what was it five months so you were like posting swimming pictures with your wig and always dressed wig. up with the wig the poor wig had a whole whole life had a whole social yeah, media so presence wig, i didn't get to use that wig that wig was only for special occasions that wig was only for ballers and then if i had press all the other wigs I had to buy. So it was like the long wigs, the short wigs. And then eventually I ended up just sewing tracks into a baseball hat. So I guess yes. like a hat on and then I <laughs> have the tracks attached to it. Cause I was like, I can't handle this. Like it's just cause Marvel didn't want anybody to know that my head was shaved. And then I was flying back to LA to shoot ballers at the same time. And I remember one time Dwayne put his arm around me and it pulled the hair and I felt the glue like lift oh. and lift. And I was like, oh my God, if it rips, we're in so much trouble. And then the other thing was, is that my, my shaved head was, uh, my hair was red. So when it shifted, it just looked like a red bloody scalp underneath. Oh my gosh. Scalped me. And I, like, I walked over to hair and makeup and they're like, oh my God. And I was like, no, 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 you guys, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Just back down. The yeah, Rock did good. this. The Rock did this. Ah. No, you know what's a memory? It just popped into my head and I want to bring it up because I think actors need to know there are times where the job is very gentle and easy and there's jobs like when you're in a Tron costume and I get a call from oh. you on set that they oh. you had all these multiple layers and you had to be a certain size. And I remember the producer calling me saying- you Remember when they called you when I went to, yes, I went I was, to LA- and then they called you and they were like, we think we need to hire Sorinda a trainer because she's getting yes. bigger. And I was like, you fuckers, I'm pre-menstrual. I'm literally yeah. just loaded as fuck. She and I'm like, I, I had my period. I was, I just flown and the only food on the airplane was a yogurt and I'm slightly lactose intolerant. So I got there and I was like, my whole body was just shut down because they used to fly me in on the same day and then fly me out the same night. Yeah. So it was like very difficult on the body and it's like the skin tight costume. And yeah, instead of just being like, Hey, what's, uh, what's going on? Is she eating too many cookies? But no, yeah, just- I, I want to bring up the even other issue. They didn't even think about you guys needing to go to the bathroom. Do you remember they asked oh, yeah. you to hold a funnel in the suit? Oh yeah. With our fingers that were electrically wired to a battery. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I got a call from Sorinda crying that she could not you know, manipulate out of her suit. She couldn't pee. So I had the unit on the phone. Like, no, they wouldn't take us out of the suits. It was a seven hour process to get the suit on. Oh my God. The first thing that went on was like an entire body suit, like a, like a, uh, what are these called? It's like a mesh. My head literally said lederhosen. (laughs) It's like a mesh, but they even made a legging. It's like, what does an old woman wear? You mean like a spank? Nylons? Nylons, Lederhosen. <laughs> hosiery. That's what my brain Hosiery. Was like. hosiery. <laughs> it was like a body hose. 
Yeah, they put this, the, is just, this is reminding me of Ross and Friends when he got when got the he leather pants, the leather pants, and couldn't get them off. Oh yeah, a million times worse. They just wouldn't. They, we couldn't sit down. They had a bicycle no. seat on the stand, so you could yeah. just like sit there and lean then up. Oh lean my back. goodness, we cried. We all cried. One girl peed in her suit. She got electrocuted. <gasps> I won't say who it was. It was just she like, got electrocuted. Oh yeah, we were attached to batteries. We had a battery pack on our back. They were electrical. We took dehydration. Don't add water. Morning, like everybody was like, we would sit there with like terror on our face. So every girl would eat like, like have two coffees and eat oatmeal first because we were like, you can't go to the bathroom once you're in your suit. So everything that's in your system, you have to be able to get out in the morning. And if you want to pee, you are fucked because the experience is literally this wonderful girl named Daisy would like get underneath you with like a crochet hook needle and like unzip a tiny little zipper and then hand you this stupid pee funnel that you had to figure out how to get in the right proximity. And if you didn't do it, you peed in your suit and then you had to not only be in it the entire day, but you most likely were going to get electrocuted. Like little all shots, of these yeah. things. And then because the suits were so tight, they pushed down, like you just, you had no boobs whatsoever. So they put like coconut, half coconuts to give us the breast shape. But the problem was, is the suit was so tight that it pushed against our chest. So we all had massive bruising. Somebody would send me pictures of all the welts. So guys, yeah. this is how dangerous roles can be. Thank God we fast forward to surrender working with USA Network with like breakout kings, which is still one of my favorite jobs you ever booked and Graceland. And then you got to work with, you know, amazing actors on Feud. I mean, you've definitely had some wonderful wonderful shows that you've been on. What's been your favorite role? Uh, I have a favorite. I don't have a favorite. I have a few. I think, I think obviously Anne Bancroft in Feud was one of my favorites just because of the level of artistry as I was talking about, I got to bring, even though she was a person that, it, that obviously existed, I was able to study and recreate and use like, uh, like different body language and voice placement and accent, um, which was really amazing to be able to do. Also, you know, working with Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon ain't too shabby. No, right at all. Not at all. <laughs> right. Murphy directed our episode too. So I was like, hey. um, that was pretty amazing for me. I definitely, it's funny. I had, I had a really interesting experience on ballers. Um, pre, um, pre going on set mainly because it was one of the first times that I was actually able to suspend my need to be liked. And I think it could have been a completely different experience if I came there wanting something from anyone, wanting to fit in, wanting to be friends, wanting to like impress. Um, it was all just about what I could bring to the table as the character. Um, and as an artist, I think I really grew, even though it was a, a difficult script to to bring that side of me out but it was a really amazing challenge and also like a, a huge kind of journey internally which led directly into uh inhumans which was sort of the same um large internal internal movement when it was like you know we walked off the set when it was the last day and i was like this is this isn't this isn't gonna do well and i'm gonna get on my plane and fly back to LA with a shaved head and, <laughs> and I'm going to have to go find some other roles and see what happens. And, and I think that was, but that experience of getting the phone call, um, that I booked it, I can't even describe what that was like. Changes your life when you get those calls. I remember, uh, Jeff had said to me, who was the head of, uh, Marvel TV at the time. He's like, mm -hmm. I have three words for you. He was like, welcome to Marvel. And I just, <laughs> like started bawling and shaking. And my mom was there and I was like, mom, I got it. Like just such an incredible moment. And I think that was the reason why one of that's, that's one of my favorite jobs is because I didn't destroy that moment in the aftermath of its outcome. Right. Uh, that moment still to me means so much. Um, and, and I get to battle all the little voices inside my head that tell me that it, what, it's not that big of a deal because of what happened to the show rather than being like, no girl, 
you fucking booked the lead of a Marvel movie TV show thing. Like it was supposed to be a movie and a TV show and a brand new series and, 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 and just because it didn't happen doesn't mean that you didn't do it. So um, yeah, I think those were, I think like each new role becomes part of my favorite. Like Jenny's amazing. Cause I get to like, just play around with being a total weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get four more months of that coming in two weeks. I do. <laughs> More time. Do you find with each of your characters, do you have any residue that kind of still sticks after a character or after you've finished a project? Sometimes. Depends on how long I've done it. Like Jenny has facial tics. Oh, they stick around. I have those <laughs> probably at least three to four weeks after. Um, I'll notice that I'll do something. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not yours. Go put it back on the Jenny shelf. You know, so there's there's definitely... I'm not a method actor, so I don't have, um, I don't carry my emotions home with me. Um, once in a while, if I'm doing something really difficult, um, like a bit of emotional gymnastics, I can feel the exhaustion the next day. But uh, I remember when they were doing the scene where they're supposed to be shaving my head and they had to do it in like every single angle and um, lens size. I had a little video that I kept watching and everybody at the end, like, we just have to ask, like, what were you watching? Cause it's like, she's sobbing, like just mm-hmm. sobbing. And it was like three to four hours of this. And then as soon as they all cut, they just were like, you would just go right back normal. And then if you couldn't get there, we'd see you like watch something on camera and like, what was it? And I was like, dog rescues. I just <laughs> watched dog rescues. It's this thing called Who Rescues Who? And it's this dog named Petey. And there's this man who was overweight and he was, they were scared that he was going to die of a heart attack. So the doctor said, go get another overweight dog. And the two of you can start walking together and save each other's life. And so they started walking together and then they started running together and they both lost the weight and he was pre-diabetic and then he didn't have it anymore. And he was just this like beautiful story of this man and this dog becoming healthy and just like this love between them. And then at the end, Petey gets cancer and there's this, it's so sad. And I would oh just walk them, like, no, Petey. <laughs> and then I would go on there and they'd be like, action. I'm like, <gasps> and they were like, oh my God, she's just in her trauma. Like she's watching war videos or like something horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, there's literally just this adorable dog named Petey who has cancer. And that was the way that I was able to do it was I'm able to enter my sadness through love as opposed to through trauma. So certain days I have to, I have to go there. If it's more of a, like a scene, I'll go there. Like I'll find the emotional triggers that are in line with what I'm saying and what's happening with the scene. But when it's just crying, a lot of people go to their own personal traumas. So for, you know, five hours, they're thinking about a loved one that's passed or um, something traumatic that's happened to them. And I've learned as I've gotten older um, and worked more in this industry, not to do that is to find the days where I have to cry a lot, cry because I love so hard, cry because I love animals so hard and the connection between animals. And that's through my joy of the connection of these two beautiful beings and their life. And so that's what I would cry off of. And sometimes people think I'm really weird, but I had a, I had a great day. I think that's great advice because I think that's, that would be difficult to be having to go deep into something that is traumatizing and having to continue to relive it. So Mm -hmm. what a, what a great way. Cause those videos get me every time. And when people come back from like reunions or something, those get me too. (laughs) I've always, I've, I've always shied away from talking about it somewhat because that's part of the like imposter fraud syndrome that I have, that it's not, um, I didn't learn the method of how to do it from, from school or I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I don't know. Like I thought for the longest time I had something to prove in, in that re-traumatization of myself, you know, or in that, like always being in the moment. And I was like, no girl, you can do it however you need to do it. You get your work done. Like that's it. And so, you know, there's days that I have to do, you know, I'm not doing a panic attack on coroner thinking about puppies. I'm like legitimately teaching my body how to do a panic attack without attaching emotionally so that I don't hurt myself, but physically it's like gymnastics. So it's teaching your body how to twitch, how to breathe, how to um, hyperventilate, like those things, when you hyperventilate, there's no getting around that, but you can teach your body how to do rapid breath 
in a way that's like breath work rather than panic. So there's certain things that I've found a way around um, that I used to think was cheating. Cause I used to like want to be that actor that like is like shaking afterwards. And I'm like, God, they're just so in it. Like, ah. And then I finally just kind of excused myself from that belief system and was like, just do it. However, it feels good for you and see oh, what, I, how it can serve the character. I love that you brought up breath work instead of putting yourself through panic. We actually had a client that had to do a very heavy scene on a Netflix show. He was a series reg and it was one of the most awful calls for me to get. He had been put through the ringer for seven hours in a scene where he was dying or being mm-hmm. shot and dying. That night he had a full-blown seizure and wound up an emergency and a bit through his tongue. And uh, we found yeah. out that it had triggered an onset of a seizure. And, you know, of course they had to shut down set the next day and I had to deal with the lawyers. And of course we had to deal with his health first, but of course there was a big onslaught. But I just want actors to know, yes, please, please learn through breath work. Try not to traumatize your body. Like Sarinda is mentioning. I think that's a huge point that actors really can do a lot through breath work instead of putting themselves through that method pain that actually can yeah. traumatize you truthfully. It actually can yeah, create it can make you a better actor just because you can, can, you can do this. That's what I've learned. I'm like, if you show up, I'm like, if you show me two tapes and they're the exact same and one used personal trauma and the other one used a breath work or a meditation or a video, they look the exact same. I don't care how you got there. I'm like, go for it, protect yourself. The other thing is, is that as an actor, as you start to get farther and farther along, you have to make sure you know your own boundaries. Cause otherwise you get to a point where we want to please and we want to, you know, um, we want to be able to perform for everybody. I remember that was one of my biggest things was as a people pleaser. I was like, whatever you want. Yes. Okay. The stunt just went terribly wrong and I whiplash, but I'll do it again. Yeah. You know, and it's like, no, no, hold on, take a breath. Like we're valuable. Like let's, let's not injure ourselves because on coroner, I work every single day. And as a lead of our show, I have to have the wherewithal to say, Hey guys, I'm getting tired. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, knowing that I'm not going to shut down the set. Not that this is that his doing this for seven hours was a weakness by any means. That's sometimes when you trigger something internally, you have no idea about. Um, And also having, you know, people on set should know not to put an actor through seven hours of extreme emotion. Yeah. Of any emotional stress. It's very... Yeah. It's very difficult. You have to, you have to watch for that. And, and, you know, we get told so often in the beginning of our career to sort of like sit down and shut up and act. And, you know, I think that's why a lot of actors become assholes when they're older. Cause they're just like, fuck you guys, you treated us like <laughs> shit on the way up. Like we're going to be decent when we get here. And so, you know, to be able to hold space to not become an asshole, I think on the way up, we gotta, we gotta protect ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, being Jenny Cooper is, is a haul. Like you said, you're number one on the cast list. This is your first big number one. This is your third season. And, you know, you give Jenny everything. I see how much you devote to that show and it shows. And I'm just so proud of you. Cause I, it's kind of weird. Cause this journey has been like, I swear we've grown up together. Cause what are we at? 12 oh, years yeah. now? 12 years? Yeah. Holy. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little weepy there for a moment. How'd I get emotional? Oh, yeah, I know. I just, well, there's just been so many times like us in Vegas, us in Baton Rouge, us in Miami, us in LA and all these crazy memories. Like even in Baton Rouge where that guy tapped my ass and we were celebrating, you chased him down the street and then the cops were chasing you. And like, there's all these hilarious memories. Oh, I got you. I was like, oh. what did he do? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, we have so, it's, it's amazing. Cause we have a, we have, we have a very special relationship, I think. Um, and I think that's why I've, also been able to excel at a rate that I have is because I've always felt very protected, whether it's been like getting into a car accident on the way to a audition and you being like, absolutely not. Do not go to the audition. Where are you? And picking me up and taking me to the hospital. And, you know, I think there's a level of care that you bring to the job that it does not require, but it is felt and appreciated beyond I think anything that any actor can ever really um, say, but the one way that you could see it is how we're succeeding and how we're flourishing and how in 12 years I've been able to go, you know, from character number 101 to number one, you know, like that's, that's a, that's a big leap. And it's something that, you know, you and I always knew that I could do, 
but I had some doubts along the, I had some doubts along the way where I was just like, ah, I don't know. Um, well, I think you have some angels, that's for sure. Some guardians, because for me, it's funny. I, I always go on instincts. And when that first day I met you, it was just nagging at me. Cause I just wanted to sit and have a like, what is that? Chicken rice bowl, chicken dairy rice bowl. I just want to sit in Cactus Club, have a minute with a friend. And it kept nagging, nagging, nagging. And it wouldn't let me go. And then again, when I kept seeing you and again, and even throughout these years where if you've ever had doubts or I've had a low moment, you had my back. Look, I moved to Spain. I almost gave up my job. And you're like, I don't care where you're going in the world. You're representing me. Do you know what? I still have to thank you for that. Cause you know, what's crazy because you said that another client did the same. And when I moved to Spain and my life fell apart, I still had my foot in this business because I was representing you and Luciana. And then I took on a writer. And when I came back to Vancouver and I had to rebuild my business from scratch, if I hadn't had you two, you guys saved me. Like I rebuilt from you two. So could you imagine like how crazy has our journey been? This has not been just like, hey, I'll rep you and you act and I rep and like, that's, you know, it's been crazy, but so amazing know you. I think that's why is because I knew you and because of how personal the relationship was, is that, you know, I, there's a reason why I've been in LA the past 10 years and, you know, we're still working together is because there's, I know people are like, it's your mother agent. And I'm like, well, one, she's not old enough to be my mother, but two, I feel that the love that would come from a mother and, or for family more like, um, and, it's never made sense for me to be like, great. Thanks for building me up. And now I'm going to go leave. Like, it's like, no, it's, it's, I mean, you're the one who brought me coroner. You know, you have such an incredible view of the industry in this very multifaceted way. And I think you understand the industry in that way, but you also understand your clients. And so that's, what's so interesting is that when you do find, cause you start off as my agent, now you're a manager. And that's because like, I'll call you and be like, Michelle, what do you think of this? Like, what do you think of this role? And you're like, I hate it. And I'm like, thanks. Oh, <laughs> perfect. You know, there's this script sucks. Yeah. This script sucks. I can feel the honesty and the growth. And it's like, I really do feel like you are such a champion for me. And and on the days that I don't, you know, that I slip up a bit, I can call you and and you'll talk me off you know, the like actor ledge where we're just like, I just don't know anymore. And then the days where I'm having a really great time, we can go out and have our little champagne campaign and have yeah. our, our celebration and our dogs hang out. And it's a, yeah. it's a really unique experience. I hope that any and all of the actors that are listening get to find that. Um, I know that I don't have that with my agents out or when I had my agents out in LA, we, we just left them. Um, it can, it can be a huge positive, but it can also be difficult because you just assume that every other person is as awesome. And so when you can't have that connection with your agents, you're like, well, no, like this That's is not the norm. <laughs> not norm. So yeah. So you want to find an agent when you're starting that has the capacity to see you and to see your growth. Um, and that's something that you work on. It's not like you just strike magic. I was incredibly lucky because I needed that kind of belief to get through my fear. I think if I had had, if I had gone to a regular agency and been one of many, um, I don't think I would have been able to get over that hump as quickly. I think I would have come up against a lot more of my fear. So I actually needed somebody like Michelle who invested and believed in me and kind of helped me clear the voices out of my head. Um, to kickstart my career. So find some people might not need that. Some people might want a hands-off approach, find how you feel the most supported in your own unique way and, uh, and go from there. I was just incredibly lucky to be able to find such a, like a perfect symbiotic match. And then well, I think our, we're grown together somehow. We're all grown together. We're grown together. But again, I know I'm just going to circle back. Seriously. I think about this all the time. Like if you hadn't sat there at that dinner and said, I don't care if you're moving to Barcelona, you're going to continue repping me. I don't know where my life would have gone 10 years ago. It's so bizarre, but it is interesting how we were thrown together and I was forced to kind of push you in and then you were forced, you were forcing me to stay in. So it's been yeah. this very unique relationship. This is not a typical agent actor relationship at all. We've been so really good friends. I mean, that's the thing is like, like you're part of my family. Like that's just how, how it goes now. And, and that's, you know, where these 
relationships can can go because you really are you know the the container for our dreams and that's huge it's huge to be like they represent me in the conversations that I wish I could be in and then also wish I don't have to be on because there's some that I'm like oh I don't I don't want to know that I don't want to know like I'm sure the, the conversations at the beginning of my career were horrendous like I think some of my they weren't horrendous now. they were always like you have got such a diamond in the rough but make her a fucking diamond and she will be oh, a star yeah. like they were just they just said please just <laughs> soft the rough edges and like teach her how to act I'm like uh, we'll figure it out but you know what we did figure it out ninja and- costume. what like when I showed up in a ninja costume for the Twilight audition. That was amazing. That was yeah, that was a fun one. I don't even know if I ever told you about that. Did you ever know about that? Yes. Okay, great. You make, you make <laughs> life in the world. in every way. I yeah. love everything about our journey. And I also have loved that you've taken the platform of your success and helped others. Like I really mm-hmm. want to touch on the fact that, you know, you definitely use the platform and in your fans base to kind of spread great news and teach others everything from to give back, to help with things like human trafficking, to be aware of your morals or your inspirations or however you want to say it. But even when we hit like Black Lives Matter, you didn't buckle, you stood up and you shared your views. And I'm, it's so impressive because there's very few people that really are honest and you've always been so honest, even when it's tough. You even called me out on things. I've been like, hey, that's not you. I know you. Smarten up. She even made me the guru. Let's go into that. But no, I mean, I- you, you, you'll call me for tough love sometimes. I, I, and I love you for that. And I, and I do the same. Like, I think we both are each other's mirrors in, in similar and different ways. And I think that that's the beauty of surrounding yourself with people that you love and respect because they can call you out on shit or you're like, Oh God, like a, a really good friend will, will actually tell you when you're fucking up as opposed to, you know, placating you. Like, I love when people are like, Hey girl, what you doing? I'm like, Oh, Oh. And I either will take it and be like, you're right. Or I'll be like, Oh wow. I could see how my actions could be interpreted that way. Let me explain why this is actually what's right for me versus, and why it may feel wrong to you or however it may work out. Um, but I've been really lucky because I, I've been open or I've had my heart open to philanthropy since I was young. I went to Waldorf school and we were really aware of what was going on around the world. And so I didn't really have the opportunity to turn a blind eye. Um, and so when people sometimes are like, it's amazing, this, the heart that you have. And I'm like, it's the exact same heart as everybody else's. I was just educated in a way that harnessed the capacity of my mind and the capacity of my heart at the same time. And that's why I think I just started an education technology company called Deedly um, that uh, offers free education for world issues, everything from teaching about empathy to mind mapping to biomimicry, um, things like that, that really helped me become who I am and not because I am unique, but because I am the same. And so I think for me, that's really been part of the joys of being able to be in an industry where there's a spotlight um, because at first it felt very narcissistic and I didn't understand why we should celebrate one of a few, um, one or a few. Um, and then I started to realize that I was like, oh, it's only shitty if you stand on a pedestal. But if you actually realize that it's a platform that you can illuminate a large amount of space, you can illuminate a lot of issues, a lot of people, a lot of, um, stories around the world then it becomes really exciting. Then you can chase fame and you can chase that spotlight because you actually have something to shine that light upon, not just on the one person um, and claim that specialness. I'm like, no, no, let's, let's figure out a way that we can really um, educate the heart and the mind and celebrate that and see what like uniqueness comes from that. And so, you know, as I was saying before, I think on my way up, I've been, I'm still on my way up guys, but on my way up, um, I think I used that heart to be like, Hey, can we write in something, you know, for Graceland on anti-sex trafficking? Because I'm a DEA agent. Sex trafficking is the second largest criminal enterprise in the world. 
um, only second to, to drug trafficking. My character would know this very, very well. She'd be very well versed in um, human trafficking. Can we write a story about it? And it can be one episode or an entire season. Here's my contacts at the UN. Here's these stories. I cycled across Cambodia. Like I have all the information um, in context. I cycled across Cambodia to raise awareness and funds for anti-sex trafficking, not just a, <laughs> a random fun fact for the creator of the show. Um, and we ended up writing a full season on my character getting sold into a sex trafficking ring. And I had people sending me messages being like, I had no idea this happened in the US. And I thought it was yeah. just a, like a storyline that was like, ah, it's a little unbelievable. And I started, you know, right after that, there was a PSA from the UN talking about sex slavery in um, the United States. And it suddenly yeah. hit home. Um, so that was really amazing to know that my voice and what I care about can also come through the voice of my characters. If I'm sneaky enough, um, <laughs> I can figure it out. Um, but if you can't do it through your characters, then use your voice outside in your platform, whether it's, you know, a couple hundred or a couple million, um, it makes a difference. And you don't have yes. to get it right. You apologize if you get it wrong. Yeah. Just, tr just do something. What would you, what advice would you give your younger self getting into the industry? Oh, stop caring so much. <laughs> yeah. Stop caring. Like it's okay. You got this. You don't need their permission to be you. Um, I was, I just cared so much that and like, don't do Maxim when they invite you to do it. Do <laughs> I almost brought that up that we took you from Maxim to Ted talks. That is a, Remember, were you there for the shoot Michelle? No, no. My mom was, I, cried and cried and cried after doing Maxim because it was like, I felt, I felt like the commodity again. And this was for like the first show that I had done where I was like, you know, it was Erica Reed on breakout Kings and she was edgy and she was a, a bounty hunter. And then I got there and it was like tiny bathing suits in a bathtub and like all this. And I just left and I was like, I don't want to be her anymore. And I'm yeah. so tired of being her. Cause up until that point I had done a lot of modeling and, and the way that my body was shaped, I, the value I was given was more in a sexual orientation. Um, and so it was like, I was so tired of just being the girl that chased what other people's thought people thought of her, her value. So my advice to me would be when, when they tell you you're not enough, you are, when they tell you to change, don't, when they say you're not smart enough, no, you are. And eventually all the things that scare them, they'll celebrate. And so will you. Um, and just knowing that, that I was enough all along and that I didn't need to conform. And there's days that I wish that I hadn't taken the pictures or modeled for this company or done whatever. But I also look at it and go, well, where's the fun in that? Like, how do I- your journey. Right. That's exactly. That's the thing is I, I wish in, you know, people are like, well, you're a role model for young kids. And then I used to get massive anxiety about being like, what if they Googled bikini pictures of me? And I was like, well, then they know that they can fuck up too. Mm -hmm. And they also know that like some people that's great. That's totally their journey. And it's amazing. But for me, I was told that that was my value based on how I looked. So for the longest time, I never developed internally what was going on or I suppressed internally what was going on and just focused on externally how I could show up. And I realized that my value was reduced to the ability to be able to arouse the opposite sex. And that reduction of who I am was so detrimental to um, who I really was. <laughs> like, it just didn't allow me to like flower. And I think that's in finding my teacher, Dion Gamal, really focusing on that and being able to remove those labels from myself and be able to see myself for who I really am and not blame myself for falling into those traps. Um, I was able to do that. So I think, yeah, I would just tell her, be like, it's going to get a lot better and you're going to get the best fucking dog in the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking of Diane Vamal, his, my favorite quote he ever said to me was don't resent your past. It was your training. We couldn't deliver these amazing messages like we do now or be how strong we are for other people in the industry or be those protectors or be those, however you want to say, like 
those mentors uh, mm-hmm. without really honoring our past and just saying, it's okay, I did that. Or it's okay, I experienced that. Yeah, I did yeah. that too. It's yeah. all learning. Yeah, It's all learning. As long as you can look at it like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I get, I yield myself when I look at these perfect women that have zero problems, it looks like, and I'm like, huh. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. We all have it. We've all done it. It's yeah. all there. Like, it's okay. It's just, it's just learning and living it. And it depends on what, what you, where you were born how you were born to whom you were born and being able to like, as Michelle, as you said, like the micro versus the macro, like if the micro, I feel stuck and I feel stagnant or I'm being mean to myself. I just look at the micro and I'm like, look at you, look at you go. Like you're actually riding. Like it feels like I'm going up and down on a graph, but really it's just a very minor up and down on a, on a trajectory that's rising. And I have to just trust that, that, yeah. that, you know, don't worry too much about the future because I'll be there to fix it or to handle it. Don't worry about the past. You're not there anymore. So let's figure out what's happening in the present and really make it what you want it to be. Yeah, and stay focused on you. What I also love that I learned, Sarinda made me go see this amazing guru and I now love him to death. But one of his other favorite quotes that he said to me was, always focus on you, focus on your lane. Don't compare yourself to anyone else because when you do, that's when you get depressed. That's when you mm-hmm. start thinking you lack. You don't lack. Focus on you. Stay in that lane. Yeah. Serena, it is so good to catch up. I am definitely uh, popping by this weekend and bringing a bottle of something. We do need some by. wine, champagne. Wine or champagne, campaign, whatever. We're. I'm ready. Oh, Thanks, girl. Thank you. Thank you.